The following podcast contains language that some people describe as unsavory, but the first definition of savory is belonging to the category that is salty or spicy rather than sweet. So I guess we use unsavory language because it's so damn savory. Welcome to episode 336 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. This will air on Monday, February 7th, 2022. The April LSAT registration deadline is coming uh, up in a little while, about a month, on Wednesday, March 16th. Um, and then, of course, we have the February LSAT just around the corner, on the starting on the 12th, and the March LSAT starting on March 11th. Um, okay. Anyways, that's some dates. If you haven't already joined Nathan's study group, it's free. You only need a demon free account. Right now, they're focusing on the March 2022 LSAT. They meet every other Thursday, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. You can ask Nathan whatever you want. Just come prepared to get the straight answer. I guess that's what I would have to say. Like, yep. we're, you know, I, uh, I'm going to give it to you as directly as I possibly can because I'm not trying to waste anybody's time. We we have work to do. I'm going to encourage you to get to work. And uh, you can ask me anything you want. And um, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm going to try to help put you on the path toward your goals. They're your goals. I don't give a shit what you do. They're, they're your goals. So if you come and ask me, how do I get there? I will give you my very best advice. We, we will try to try to help as much as we can. Yep. Please come talk to me. Yeah. Today on the show, we uh, interviewed, I'm going to mess this up, Mike Gingona? Gingona. Gingona. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it was fun to talk to him. He that was awesome. Is, yeah, he is in response, or he came on the show because someone had asked, hey, can I work part-time as a lawyer? And we said, no, we don't think you can. And producer Eric said, hey, wait a sec, my personal trainer works somewhat part-time. <laughs> yeah. He's almost full-time now, but as a, as a, as a lawyer. And so yeah. why don't you uh, interview him on the show and he can talk about it. So we, we interviewed him. It was fun to talk to him. Um, Actual a, lawyer, Mike Gingona. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. former mayor, by the way, of Daly City, USF law school grad. He's awesome. Um, yeah, his path is, yeah, we, we find out that he kind of goes from part-time law to full-time law to part-time law to full-time law because just depending on what's going on in the world, including COVID, it was really, really kind of interesting. Um, but he did not go there directly. He did not go straight into part-time law. No. No. And it, it actually sounds like his his final answer seems to be, yeah, you're not just going to go to law school and waltz out as a part time lawyer making good money. Nope. I did love uh, his anecdotes, though, from his criminal defense practice. Yeah. I mean, you get a little bit of a picture of what it's like to actually be on the ground running around defending these people. Um yeah, so if that interests you, you should check it out. Super cool to know that guy. Uh, really glad to meet him. If you have a guest that you would like to suggest for the show, email help at thinkinglsat.com. We would love to love to meet, act, especially actual lawyers. I think we should try to get as many actual lawyers on the show as we could. Yep. 
Then we jump into some information on the 509 reports and more importantly, this video from Dean Z. Dean Z is the dean at Michigan Law School. Um, anyways, she was talking about LSAT numbers, GPA numbers, what role they play in their application decision-making process. Uh, we had a lot to say about what she had to say. So That video really made me think. Everybody should check out that link in our show notes and uh, go watch that video from Dean Z. And I think you should also then listen to our commentary about the video from Dean Z because she's saying one thing and we're hearing a, a slightly <laughs> different <laughs> thing. It's like, here's what she's saying. Here's what she's not saying. And uh, yeah, anyway, it was, that was really cool. Still, still uh, super cool. Would love to maybe even get her on the show at some point. Um, then finally, we had an email from Cameron about study schedules. Let's dive in. Let's do it. Okay. I know a while back that some of the team members were unclear. This is from Brittany, right? Brittany, yeah, our Brittany. Uh, yep, our Brittany. We're unclear as to whether half to full tuition included full tuition scholarships. This is covered in the 509 data guide on the ABA website, and she has a screenshot here. Um, okay, grants and scholarships. This spreadsheet reports the number and percentage of students receiving scholarships. Okay, The information is broken down by full-time and part-time students and by amount. Less than one-half tuition, one-half tuition or more, but less than full tuition full tuition and more than full tuition. Wow, it's very like <laughs> lawyerly written. Well, yeah, that is, right? But it yeah. doesn't appear that way on the 509 report, which is what led to the question. Confusion. Uh, yes, it, it just says Right, the 509 data report, the spreadsheet or whatever that they're talking about here and then the individual PDFs of the 509 reports it just says half to full mm -hmm. and then it has a separate category for full. Yeah. And we were always wondering like, wait a second, are there shenanigans here where half to full could include full? And then there's also a category for full. They make it explicit here. Now, whether people actually read this and, you know, whether schools, we got 200 law schools, right? So whether they, whether they actually report it this way, we don't know. And then of course it could always be gamed because $1 less than, full tuition would be less than full tuition. And so then you would get to report it as half to full. That is true. Although I was thinking about that process of gaming it, right? And I, I wonder if the market incentives are enough that that doesn't happen very often, right? Because the power of saying to someone, hey, you got a full tuition scholarship versus you got full almost. True. Like it may not... If it like actually comes right mm -hmm. in the actual negotiation with a real student who is deciding whether or not to matriculate, they've already been admitted, they've already been offered a scholarship. And if you're going to offer them, you know, $10 less than full, then you have, <laughs> that it's is a little odd, like slap in the face. It's yeah. Kinda... <laughs> <laughs> true. True. Yeah. Okay. Maybe we could take that off the table. Maybe I'm just paranoid. <laughs> All right. Um, then Brittany continues. Uh, okay. We both watched this video, yeah, from Dean Z. Yeah, Dean Z, okay, from Michigan, talks about how law schools use medians as opposed to means to calculate their averages and not the mean. Oh, oops, she already said that on the 509 reports. I wanted to pass the video along if it's of any interest. So, yeah, how do you want to talk about this? Well, she starts, Dean Z seems like a cool 
lady. I I would like to hang out. I think with Dean Z. She okay. she seems fun, um, and she's obviously smart, and uh, she seems relatively mostly pretty forthcoming. Um, she the video starts with a lengthy kind of um, explanation of means versus medians. Yep. Mm-hmm. And what that means. Yeah. Which I don't know. I learned that in high school. How about you? I don't remember when I learned that, but maybe junior uh, high. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly by the time I graduated from college, I knew the difference between a mean and a median. Um, but uh, anyway, if you're not quite sure what that means, you should check out Dean's vi- for sure. You should check out Dean Z's video. If you can't in a second, tell me the difference between a mean and a median. That seems like pretty useful information for m- modern scientific thinking folk to have. I, I think we should probably take a second to explain it right now. I, I imagine <laughs> there's a good percentage of our audience who's saying, yo, wait, wait, what? <sighs> what are our schools doing these days if they're not doing that? Uh, for fuck's sake. The mean is add up all of the numbers, divide mm-hmm. by the number of people, and that's your mean. The mean salary, average. It's, yeah, just a simple average. And the mean salary for lawyers is a hundred grand. And that's what law schools super shadily always talk about. Our mean salary is a hundred thousand dollars. And the problem with the mean is that a few outliers, people making $200,000 a year, um, can overwhelm a whole bunch of people who are making $60,000 a year. Like the average can be a hundred thousand, even if it's just, you know, three people making 50 and one person making 200. Um, the, the mean is pretty close to a hundred grand in that situation. And that's just not a very useful metric. Um, median is also not that useful. Uh, you kind of really want to think about both. Because a median in that exact same scenario, the median is you line up all the numbers from smallest to highest or or from highest to lowest, doesn't matter. And then you just pick the middle number. So if it was three people making 50 grand and one person making 200 grand, in that case, the median would be 50,000. Yep. Which also doesn't tell the full story, right? If you got four total people, three of Mm -hmm. them making 50 and one of them making 200, then you need to say, well the mean is kind of like a hundred grand, but the median is 50 grand because, well, it's heavily skewed. There's skewed. Yeah. Toward (laughs) the lower distribution has a lot of people making 50 and then one person making 200. Uh, it's kind of a winner take all type of a scenario. And that's what's actually going on with law school tuitions. Anyway, Dean Z goes on at length to explain the difference between a mean versus a median um, and then she she talks about how uh, law schools use medians, not means, when they're making uh, law school decisions. So they're looking at median. They're looking at their median LSAT for the class, and they're looking at their median GPA for the class. Yep. Not the mean, which means and and her whole point was okay. So if you're well below on one of those metrics, it might not totally devastate you 
because if you're below our median, you're below our median, and it doesn't really change our public profile if you're way below our median. Yeah. Uh, that said, she, she said a couple things that I thought were really, really interesting. She, she seemed to try to be, um, she seemed to try to be giving people encouragement. Yeah, I would say the the thrust of the video was, hey, if your numbers are below our median, that doesn't necessarily mean that you won't get in. My alarm bells, though, were, were going off, and I'm thinking, okay, yeah, you can get in, but you're going to have to pay a lot of money. Like, so I, I'm, I mean, I'm naturally skeptical of this message. I, uh, I, I get well, that it's like trying to be positive, but it's also like just basically inviting people to apply yeah. to a school that they are not going to get a full ride to. Um, I was curious what the scholarships were at Michigan, and they're they're given to ninety nine percent of the class, which is okay. So maybe you can even be at the bottom and still get a scholarship, but I can't imagine they're very big. Nominal tuition at Michigan, by the way. Uh, oh, it's just thirty two thousand dollars per semester. Okay, so sixty four a year, <laughs> which is like holy shit. That's a lot of money. Um, their uh, median. LSAT is 171. Their median undergraduate GPA is 3.84. They had in 2021. So we're talking about the, okay, yeah, the median. Mm -hmm. Yeah, their 2021, uh, they had 7,700 completed applications. And they admitted just over 10% of those, 819 admits. So, Hmm. I mean, also, Dean Z, you are declining 90% of the applications that you receive. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like, uh, how enthusiastic should we really be about our chances of getting in? If your numbers are, and she, um, well, let what's me, the let me, application fee, by the way? Is this a, is this an opportunity to make a little side cash with the I, applications? <laughs> yeah, application fee is only seventy five bucks. I don't think that they're like raking in money. No, they're not raking in money off of that application fee. Um, you know, okay. It adds up to, Oh, 10,000, hundred thousand million dollars. Yeah. Maybe they're making a little bit of money off of that, but not compared to their tuition. I mean, it's, (laughs) it's nothing compared to the tuition they want. I mean, they want as many applications as they can get so that they have the best chances for choosing the best people. And yeah, they do. I'm sure find some of those diamonds in the rough. Um, you know, they, their 25th percentile, which they also have to report. And she'd never once mentioned her 75th percentiles or her 25th percentiles, but that's also public record. She might not care because it might be that us news doesn't you know, care about that stuff. Mm-hmm. It might just be strictly really medians. Um, and she does admit half of, I mean, half of the people who start at her school by definition have lower than their or at or below their median of 171. Yeah. Half of the people uh, who start at their school have half or below their median GPA of 3.84. She kept saying UGPA. UGPA. Yeah. UGPA. (laughs) Undergraduate 
GPA. At the okay. beginning of the video, she says LSAT, which I always get annoyed when people say LSAT instead of LSAT. And yeah. then she and then she kept saying UGPA, UGPA. which I had yeah. never heard anybody say before. But apparently that's a, <laughs> something that admissions folk do. Um, so we're the opposite. We always say UGPA and LSAT. <laughs> <laughs> she right. says LSAT and UGPA. Okay. She's probably annoyed that we say UGPA or, yeah. or that we f- say out undergraduate GPA. Uh, why can we just say GPA? It's just, I, I yeah, mean, of course it's, yeah. It seems like it's just GPA. Anyway, um, so she does admit ha- half of the class at or below each of those medians. Mm-hmm. But how many people is she admitting that are below the median on both? We don't have access to that. Uh, wait, wait. No, no. She said 10%. Oh, she did say 10%. Okay, thank yep, you, Ben. Yep, yep. I missed mm-hmm. that in the video. So it's only 10% of the class that is under the medians on both. And again, she's only admitting 10% of the people who even apply. So let's think about that then, right? I mean... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 10% of 10%. That's 1% of the applicants. <laughs> but it's probably less than that because she's probably denying more people. Yeah, that's true. It's not distributed. <laughs> who <either>. have, <laughs> you, you don't have a one in a hundred chance of getting into Michigan. If you apply with less than a 50th percentile GPA and less than a uh, 50th percentile LSAT. Wait, wait. So hold up. Is, does, she said 10% and she was talking about the median, right? So if she's talking about the median, that means only 10% is below the the median as opposed to the 25th percentile. Yeah, she kept saying median. She, I mean, she, she so might have misspoken. That, that actually, like, kind of, th- to me, that makes the band really centered around the median. That's why, think, look at what their numbers are. I mean, the whole message what? was like, oh, you can be, like, no. below the median. But, but you just now admitted that it's, the only right. people who are going, if only 10% are going below, how many are going above? Not only 10%, right? It's the median. So that means everybody is smack dab in the middle. No, they're eighty percent. Their median. Am I, am I missing something? No, you're not. Their median is one seventy one, and their seventy fifth percentile is one seventy two. Yep. So they are admitting a shit ton of people with one seventy ones and one seventy twos, and of course they admit people with higher than that. Uh, their 25th percentile, you note here, goes all the way down to 166. So they clearly do have to admit some people who aren't just slightly below the median. They're way below the median. Yeah. Um, I, I, my guess is the difference when you apply to Michigan, the difference between a 170 and a 171 is a lot. Or -hmm. it was last year. Because if they had somebody on the margins, like say they had somebody who had bad grades. Yeah. And, and it's like, oh, well, they're, they're not going to have a 3.84, right? This person has a, it's like not even bad grades. It's a 3.7. Yeah. And they're looking at you. You got a 3.7 or even a 3.75 or hell, even a 3.8. Yeah. And you're applying to Michigan. Dean Z is going to be like, well, you're below our median on UGPA. <laughs> you better fucking be at or above our median on LSAT. Mm-hmm. And 170 is below the median. And if she had to report, you know... One person can move the median. Yeah. One person, it's pretty hard for one person to move the mean, uh, but one person can move a median because that, where we draw that line, right? It's just the middle person. Yep. 
And if you're a 170, then you're below the line. And it's possible that you could be the one if you're the final person, you know, you're on the bubble or whatever. You could be the person that moves them from a 170 to a 171 fairly easily. Um, and she's not going to she's not going to like that. Yeah, she's, she's not she's not going to be a huge fan of that. Now, if you're above her median on GPA, yeah. you know, if, if you're there with a 3.9, then she's going to be probably a little more generous on the LSAT, but she ain't going to be generous on both. Very rarely. And you said 10% of the class. Yep. Yeah. Which is probably, I mean, I bet it makes up a big portion of the applications, right? Cause everybody, it's like, Oh, that's my dream school. Uh, mm-hmm. Every single person in the state of Michigan who's applying to law school is going to apply to the University of Michigan Law School because that's the best school you can go to by far in the state of Michigan. Uh, um, and so, you know, everybody's applying and the, your <laughs> your chances are slim if you're below her median on both. Now, she's never going to make it that explicit, but we're we're more than happy to. This This is the part that I actually found really, really interesting. She said... LSAT and GPA, she, she started, well, after her mean versus median thing, she went into this whole thing about how LSAT and GPA, like LSAT is a good predictor of your 1L grades. She said that mm-hmm. explicitly. LSAT yep. is and a GPA. good, mm-hmm. I want people to shut the fuck up if they're telling me, oh, no, that's not true that LSAT predicts your 1L grades. Okay, Dean Z of Michigan Law School said explicitly LSAT is a good predictor of your performance in your 1L year. Yep. She said it's not a perfect predictor, but it is a good predictor of how well you're going to do in your 1L year of law school. She also said that GPA is a good predictor. Your UGPA, how did you do in undergrad? Because yeah. how you do in undergrad is a pretty good predictor of your 1L grades. You're going to school and you just came from school. How do you do in that environment? <laughs> yeah. And yeah, if it was 10 years ago, okay. But still, that's how you did. And we have your LSAT as well, because what she said is the best possible predictor, the best predictor she has of your 1L performance. And this is just, this is a data-driven person. This is like a rational, like scientific thinker, okay? She's, mm-hmm. she, she's like stating facts. The best predictor she has of how well you're going to do in your 1L year is a combination of LSAT and GPA. Yep. She said that LSAT GPA combo predicts somewhere between 25% all the way up to 66% of 1L grades at law schools across the country. And she said that it predicts 50% of 1L grades at Michigan. That's a fucking lot. It might not sound like that much, but that's a lot. Yeah. If you had the LSAT GPA combos for the whole Michigan 1L class, you would be able to do a damn good job. Like if you put them in buckets and yeah, there would be people who you thought were going to do well, who did shitty. And there would be people who you thought were going to do shitty, who did well. Yep. Yep. But on the whole, you would be making really good predictions about who's going to do shitty and who's going to do well. It predicts 50% of your 1L grades. Now, there are other factors, of course, uh, but <laughs> she she is going to lean heavily 
on LSAT and GPA because it does a good job of predicting how successful you're going to be in your 1L year. By the way, how successful you're gonna be in your 1L year determines what you're gonna do in the summer between your 1L and 2L years, which is a very good predictor of what you're gonna do after law school. Yep. People are getting jobs well before they graduate. And they're getting that based on their grades because that's what gives them their summer jobs. <laughs> that's how they get those big jobs. Okay. Then she separately said, when making admissions decisions, because of the various, she said various rankings agencies. Obviously, she's referring to U.S. News. Yep. And apparently other rankings agencies. Maybe above the law, maybe whatever. Maybe above the law, maybe whatever. They also use LSAT and GPA when they rank law schools. Mm -hmm. And she stated that as another reason why she uses LSAT and GPA in her admissions decisions. Mm -hmm. I found this super interesting because it's like, well, she's already said... She uses it because it's a damn good predictor of who's going to do well and who's going to not do well in law school. But then she also separately has to use LSAT and GPA for these external reasons of, yeah. I don't want to fall out of the top 14 in the law school rankings. Which any smart dean should do, right? Yeah. Otherwise, you're hurting your right. school and the students that you've already promised an education to. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And so it's it, it, like, hey, go back to their 509. Look how narrow their ranges are for both LSAT and GPA. Well, <laughs> that's because Dean Z knows that LSAT and GPA do a good job of predicting how successful you're going to be in her law school. And they do a good job predicting how successful her law school is going to be in the eyes of these ratings agencies. Yeah. Um, I mean, and it's, yeah. it's one of the easiest things to control, right? Like in marketing, in anything in life, it's sort of like, well, what do I need to do to make a difference here? It's like the numbers are laid out perfectly. You touch one of those numbers, you bring it down just a dab, the outcome is extraordinarily predictable. I don't know what, she didn't say what weight the U.S. News and World Report ranking system gives to LSAT and GPA, but she said it was not insignificant. It's just the one like obvious numeric thing, right? If she had mm -hmm. to report a 170 median instead of reporting a 171 median, she knows that that's like mathematically going to hurt her in the rankings. Especially up there near the top where everything is yeah. <laughs> edge to yeah. edge. Yeah. Now at the end, I found it, you know, it was like at the end, she, she really, she made that claim about like, you know, well, low, low LSAT, low GPA, it's not necessarily going to keep you out of her school. She said something about like, uh, she was giving reason for optimism or something. Yeah. That's the whole point of the video. I thought like, Hey, yeah. look, you can, cause she even started out with that tone. Look, you can, you don't have to, everybody's talking about numbers. And if you have low numbers, you know, I don't want you to give up on Michigan. It's like, why are you saying this? Because she wants your application, not because she wants your application fee. 
She wants your application because she wants to give you an honest shot because she does find some diamonds in the rough. She also wants to deny people because yield is another thing. And that's the <laughs> thing that she did not mention, but yield is another thing that the, the, uh, num- the, the number of people that she denies, she, she wants that acceptance rate to be as low as possible. She's right now sitting on a 10 and a half percent acceptance rate. She would love that to be in the single digits. I guarantee I know you dismissed this application fee thing, but I, I, I will say, I, I can't imagine that not getting, or that getting, let's let's just say they, they waive most of them, but they still end up getting $200,000 uh, an application cycle. I don't know. It just seems like a nice chunk of change to have for your office. Like it pays for one person. It pays for one employee. It's nothing compared to the amount of money that they're getting from sure. tuitions. But it's, it's, a, it's another bonus. I don't know. I don't know how, like how those things work or how they're allocated, but maybe she doesn't mind it, but for every application that comes in, I mean, it's 75 bucks is all she's getting. And then she has to evaluate an application. How much of a, but how no, much she of doesn't, an, she doesn't have to evaluate an application. <laughs> Cause you're saying she's all, not even looking at them. She, yeah, she's how like, many well, are just LSAT, like GPA? Let me glance this video at your just got statement. Me. Goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's possible. I would like to give her more credit than that. I mean, I, I, I'm not saying it's her primary motivation. I'm just saying, you know, she talked about multiple motivations. Are you going to succeed at my law school? That's obviously a sincere motivation, a substantive one. As she said, you don't want people who are going to come there and fail, but then obviously she needed to take into account, um, you know, ranking systems and all that. But I'm just saying this just is, it's just like, it adds to the buckets. Like you said, it's like, okay, well, we're going to get a little extra cash. We're going to get better yield numbers. Like, more people applying is just is good. good. Yeah, For absolutely. Yeah, she wants your application. She does, and yeah. she she hope. I mean, yeah, she would love to admit you, especially if you raise her medians. Yeah, and if you don't raise her medians, then she kept saying, like, you know, I, if I think you can do the work, if I think you can do the work, if I think you can do the work. But that's going to be a hard sell because if you show her medians that are above, if you show her LSATs and GPAs that are above her medians, you're like, well, I'm going to raise your medians. <laughs> then she's going to be a lot more willing to believe that you could do the work, especially well, because it's also, LSAT you're, and you're GPA more likely to do predictor. the work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Awesome. She yeah. she got to the end. I it looked to me. I don't know if you had the same experience, but it looked to me like she was just. At the end, she said that thing about, I want you to be optimistic. Like, I want to give you a reason for optimism. I think it was optimism. A reason for optimism. And then yeah, she, something like- and then she ba- immediately backs off and goes, cautious optimism. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, she just couldn't quite say the lie that strongly. It's like, it's like she knew that she was not really telling people to be optimistic when they have a lower than her median LSAT and GPA, she does not really want you to be optimistic. She might want you to be cautiously optimistic enough that you'll send in your application and maybe get extremely lucky. But she, she, uh, yeah, it was just kind of funny. Anyway, Dean Z is great. I want to watch more of her videos. Um, She seems super cool. And uh, we'll link to that uh, video, obviously, in our show notes. That's an old-ish video. It's from 2020. I'm surprised I hadn't seen that before. Hmm. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Want to read this next one? Yeah, this is for um, Cameron. Okay. Hi. I listen to this podcast almost every day, and I find it helpful. 
Cool. Glad to hear that. I took a diagnostic test and scored a 140 in December. However, I didn't study as much as I now as now and recently took another practice test and received a 142. Do you think my improvement should be higher or at a reasonable speed? Given that I plan on taking the June LSAT? What? I got to interrupt there and just say. Huh? I mean, I don't know. You you took a diagnostic and got a 140 in December. Okay. We're recording this on January 27th. This email just came in, by the way. So this is like, all right, so it's a month full solid month, maybe more later. And I didn't study as much as now. I guess that means you're studying more now. And now you took another test and got a 142. I mean... I guess two points do allow you to draw a line. So, you know, it may, let's say it was probably six weeks in between practice tests, right? If, I mean, December is a full month. We're at the very end of January. So let's say that test was mid-December. Then that was six weeks and you've improved two points. A uh, problem with that analysis is that, uh, yeah, two data points, like suggests a line, but <laughs> we'd be much better at predicting your pace uh, if you had given us five data points or 10 data points. I mean. Yeah, I'm also, I also, th these data points, um, not only are there not enough of them, I, I don't know what to make of them. So for example, if you got a 140 through largely guessing and completing the test and guessing, right? Um, or I, not sorry, completing the test and doing questions poorly versus you got a 142 because you only did a few questions, but you got all those questions right. Like I, I, I would feel much more confident, confident about your prospects for doing better each subsequent test yeah. if that's well, how you got your 142. I should also say that it's kind of hard to do that, honestly. It's, it's kind of hard to to take your time, be careful, uh, only complete the questions that you feel good about answering and still get a 142. Like you, you, sh you should be pretty quickly up to 150 if you have any understanding of the test at all. Uh, uh, really? Cause like uh, if you only do 12 or 13 questions a test, uh, per section, 12 or 13 questions and you get most of them, right? I mean, you get like 85% of them, right? Yeah, I think you're probably knocking on the door already of 150. There's a long way in between 142 and 150. So it seems to me very unlikely that Cameron is um, being careful as we recommend and feeling good about uh, their answers. Sure. Well, but I mean, all of this is on a spectrum, right? So I'm wondering just like, how much of this score was from solid work on a few or fewer questions versus right. not so solid work on all of them? Yeah. Uh, where are you? I don't know. Um, also, do you think it's possible that I could receive a 170 plus on my June LSAT? It's possible. You have a lot of work to do. Not at the rate you're going and not like not based on this. No. You've improved two points, let's say, in six weeks. I mean, even if that is a line, 
you could draw the line. It ain't getting to 170. Uh, it's possible merely because other people have done it. Um, yeah, it's not. But we have no, we don't know enough <laughs> to say how likely it is for you. That's that's all I'm saying is it's been done, um, and I I wouldn't count on it. What are some tips and tips and advice you would give for a study schedule? How long? How many days? Etc. I'm currently in school and also working part time. Also, okay, no, we'll wait on that. Um, I'm currently in school and also working part time. I, I think our advice is always still the same. Find a good hour every day. If you don't have an hour, 30 minutes. And alternate between yeah. drilling and doing time sections. I don't know if you have a, a demon account, but you could get a demon free account and at least do some work there for a few weeks. Yeah. Cameron, you need to put in one high quality hour every day, roughly every day. Mm -hmm. uh, like sometimes you can't. Okay, fine. I, I get it. But you got a full day of school and you have your job that day and you can't get a, you can't get your hour in. Okay, fine. But most days, I mean, full-time school is like 15 hours of class. Part-time work is whatever part-time work is, 15 hours, 20 hours, 30 hours a week. You should be coming up with that one high quality hour every day. Uh, and, and when you can't, you can't, but you, that's kind of the minimum price of admission. Like if you want to make solid forward progress, you got to be coming up with that one high quality hour most yeah. days and and if almost you, every day. And if you don't make that progress, even if it's not as much as you want, if you're not making enough progress, then you're going to be demotivated and you're just going to be dragging your feet. And yeah. Just be, be uh, my tip here. My first tip, be, be honest with yourself. Like, I, I don't, you shouldn't be thinking about the June LSAT. I, there's no point making a plan to take the LSAT on a specific date, really. You should be looking at your life and you should be saying, can I find one high quality hour every day to devote to LSAT prep? And if not, then that's okay. This is just not the time for you. You know, like why you shouldn't be trying to force it in to some artificial timeline. You're a long way from 170. You are not going to get there by not studying. You know, this like I didn't study as much as. Now, nah, I don't even really know what that means, but you you have to study. You have yeah. to do it. You have to do the work. And it doesn't have to be today doesn't have to be tomorrow. It doesn't have to be in the year 2022. I, I don't care. Law school will always be there. But you have lofty goals and you're not going to reach those goals by not studying. So find a place in your life and maybe you have to wait, maybe you have to graduate from undergrad before you have this time in your life. Now, that said, many people do. Uh, go to undergrad full-time and work part-time um, or sometimes undergrad full-time and work full-time and still find that one high-quality hour every day. It depends on how much of like a lawyer you really are. Lawyers mm -hmm. are bad asses as far as work ethic is concerned. <laughs> how, what do you think of Mike, uh, Mike Gingona's work ethic? 
What do you think of that dude? Hmm. The guy was doing 10 different things. He's doing 10 different things. He's in badass shape. He's working at the public defender's office while he's also on the city council of Daly City, probably running for mayor at the time and active in his church and being in badass shape. It's like, <laughs> dude, it's like a killer. Yeah. Well, that's a lawyer. So, you know, you've, you've got to find that time in your life to, to do this. Yeah. Um, and it's totally okay, Cameron, if that's not now. It, does, it just doesn't have to be now. It doesn't have to be the June LSAT. Um, you know, how long is it going to take, Ben? How long is it going to take me to get from 142 to 170 plus? We have no idea. It depends on how much of that time you can put in and how well you put in that time, right? How many people just do questions and don't review them carefully? Or like, yeah, 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 I get it. Yeah, yeah, okay, cool, next. It's like, that's not going to move the ball. (laughs) Some people move it quickly and some people move it slowly. Yeah, when I say I want a high-quality hour, I want want it to be distraction-free. I want you to be rested. I want you to be um, fed and healthy and uh energized Mm -hmm. and then i want you to honestly grapple with the fact that the questions make perfect sense on the page because you are not getting to 170 if you don't acknowledge that the test makes sense that question makes sense and you have to make sense of it and when you miss a question it's not like Oh, I picked a second best answer. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. You didn't understand the question. You mm-hmm. didn't understand that the right answer answers the question and the other answer doesn't. Yeah. And like, if you're not willing to, to like that, that's like, you gotta, that's a come to Jesus kind of a thing. Like you have to be okay with, Oh boy. I, I, I did not read that carefully enough. I did not, I did not take that seriously enough. And yeah. when you're reviewing, like, you know, it, like <laughs> have I told you, I started doing this thing in class. I'm going to do it again tonight. Uh, I think I'm going to call it fa- most fabulous fuck up. <laughs> Whoever makes the most useful mistake in my class mm-hmm. gets a free piece of demon swag. Okay. What's By useful most mistake? useful mistake. What I mean mm-hmm. is you honestly grappled with the question and there was a something there like a, we, we just we uncover a useful misunderstanding or misinterpretation. Right. Because yeah. I misread it. That is not getting your free demon swag. I misread it is just not a useful Mistake. That's just, mm-hmm. that's a, you weren't careful enough. I, you didn't give it enough attention. Okay. Well, you, that's not, it's <laughs> not helpful. Yeah. So we need that one high quality hour every single day of this, like honest grappling with the, the truth of the law school admission test. And then how long is it going to take? Well, I don't know. Some people make a 25 or 30 point improvement in three months. Yeah. But other people take two years and other people never get there. So I don't, it's real hard to, real hard to say. 
cool. Um, Cameron also asked for a personal statement review and attached a personal statement, which I did not open. All personal statement submissions now have to go through lsat.link slash statement. lsat.link slash statement if you would like uh, your personal statement to possibly be put into consideration for the show. But we're not taking those by email anymore. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, Cameron, for writing in. Good luck. Um, same to everybody. Okay. Um, okay. This is from a former engineer, I guess, and now a patent agent who's currently practicing part-time um, as a patent agent while in law school. All right. Hey, Ben and Nathan. Happy New Year. Hope all is well. Just got my grades for the first semester, so perfect timing for an update. The grades are expectedly not great. Uh, okay. But just enough to get my firm to write a reimbursement check. I spent no more than 30 minutes preparing before each class, heavily relied on Quimby, spent most of my time on client, client matters. On the firm side, they are so happy with me that they raised my salary three times in the past six months and sent me over 10%, uh, sent me over 10% in uns, an unsolicited special bonus. I expectedly did not meet the billable requirement for my first year with the firm and thus am in, uh, ineligible for the regular bonus. The partnership decided to use a special bonus to make it up. Okay, now while I'm working only a part-time workload, my salary is higher than my starting full-time salary and is also more than what I got from my last engineering job. All right, so oh. not a part-time lawyer, really, but part-time patent yeah. agent working for a law firm while in law school, and, uh, you know, it's an unusual path. Um, we have an email here from Brandon, uh, sort of similar, well, not, you know, not a part-time lawyer, but... Uh, hi, great episode today. As always, just wanted to offer a comment about the part-time lawyer question. I used to work for a big law firm in an administrative role, and in the contract, I had to agree that I wouldn't work anywhere else. I had to quit my part-time job, and I wasn't even a lawyer. I'm not sure every firm is the same, but that's my experience. Brandon. And then we have one more here, Ben. Sure. Hey, Ben and Nathan, I came across this article written in 2015 and thought I'd share. How can lawyers balance work and leisure in the Atlantic? Okay. Um, whoa, do we want to look at well, that Well, I took a look at it. Yeah, you know, it's this, this secondment, which is a word I had never heard before. It's like some academic made up a fake word for, um, or, you know, maybe the law firms made up a fake word. Uh, there are these secondment companies that act as a third party in bridging the gap between lawyers and clients. Uh, Ryan here says they are an option for people looking to be a part-time lawyer with reduced hours. And uh, we can link to that in the show notes if you want to know more about that particular path. Um, the short, my sh short read on that was, yeah, if you've been practicing at a firm for eight or 10 years and built yourself up a clientele uh, or built, you know, you're like already a documented successful lawyer, then there are these firms out there that can get you, um, you know, gigs that are in-house that are more like a reasonable workload. Uh, the article admitted, you know, it's like, well, you're going to bill 40 hours a week, which means you're going to work 60 hours a week. 
uh, at a firm and then maybe, you know, but th then later you might get sort of headhunted by one of these se second mint firms. And I just, I wanted to caution Ryan there. If Ryan's thinking that this is like a super common path for people to take right out of law school, I, I, <laughs> I seriously doubt that those firms are there like recruiting, you know, brand new uh, law grads like, oh, you passed the bar. Oh, great. Here, let's put you in-house part-time for a, a corporation. I, I sincerely doubt that that's the thing. Anyway. I hate the word, by the way. It's very It's so annoying. hard to say. Second meant. Second meant. Like, second. You're going to come up with a word? It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Producer Eric was nice enough to arrange for us a currently part-time lawyer. We have with us uh, Mike Gingona. Mike, should we call you Mayor Gingona? Is it, do you get that title for life? Uh, no, well, like that—that's what they say. If like once you've been you've been mayor somewhere, they do kind of throw that around a lot. But no, just call me Mike, please. Oh, can I call you Mayor Mike? <laughs> I like that. I, we've never yeah, had. Go ahead. <laughs> we've never had someone with a title on the show before. I don't think. Um, anyway, Mike uh, is yeah, former mayor of Daly City, graduate of University of San Francisco Law School, uh, and currently doing some part-time lawyering. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how that came about? Well, after being a full-time lawyer for about 25 years, uh, um, I was able to pursue some other things. I, I, I was able to uh, become a U.S. Master Swim Coach. I became a swim coach. I became a uh, personal trainer, passed all that. And, and I guess it was in 2016 or 17 where I kind of decided I was in private practice. I had an office uh, in San Francisco. I was doing fairly well. Uh, I just decided that I would take my income. If you look at your income like a pie and you go, all right, most of it's coming in from law. I got a job at Google as a personal trainer in 2017. And so in 2017, I transitioned. I had a full-time job at Google, hmm. which I still kind of have. I train people. I'm a personal trainer there. But at the time, I, was a, uh, I, I had my own firm uh, doing criminal defense. So as you can imagine... In criminal defense, I was a one-man shop. Uh, referrals came to me. Uh, I had a full full caseload. I did criminal defense in the nine B area counties all over San Francisco. Waived instruction or aim and appeared in court. You know, went to trial. You know, did all the things that a criminal defense lawyer does, which I still do now. The part-time aspect only. I just look at it in a sense. I could be a full-time lawyer and a part-time personal trainer. I just became versatile in a sense that I looked at where the income was coming from. And as, as my personal trainer business grew and my clientele grew, I spent more time doing that. And so as I devoted more time to personal training, which again, doesn't pay half as much or a quarter as much as being a, a full-time lawyer, I decided I took that pay cut. I made a conscious decision and said, I want to do this. I want to pursue this. And in 2017, that's when I decided that I would focus more of my time doing one thing than the other. Uh, I closed down the office, went to a home office, went virtual, uh, did not do the referral service anymore. Um, and I kind of did that. Hit pandemic hit and uh, nobody went to gyms anymore. And, <laughs> and it's interesting that you would call me now because now I'm... It, I, Okay, so now I'm kind of a full-time lawyer. So I, I don't know how I would explain it because now, as, as you look at the pie, the personal trainer business is like this, and I have had to focus 
and I hate using the word, but I'm going to say it. You're going to hate me. I had to pivot back to, you know, back to being, uh, and so what happened then? Got an office, went out and started, and, and went to Martindale Hubble, uh, started paying them for referrals, put myself out there for nine specialties. Uh, I have an app. I get phone calls and emails. And, okay, here's the guy's problem. You know, I make a phone call. I have to go back to, to lawyer mode. And and it's it it's not direct solicitation. See, everybody, every one of the clients that I get has made a has has asked for a loyal referral, and I'm on one of the lists, and I pay a certain amount of money per lead, and that's how how we we make the money there. So instead of being a part time lawyer. I focused now on, on that, and I'm still doing the personal training and the teaching of yoga and and all that other stuff that fulfills me and teaching swimming, but you know I still have to pay bills, <laughs> and to, quite frankly, if you're a good criminal defense lawyer, you can make a, a very good living, and I've been doing it for 30 years. So uh, I don't want to say that 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 it's easy to do, but it's something that I'm very comfortable doing. That. You know, I was a public defender for 10 years in San Francisco. You, you give me a stack of cases like this high, I, I you know, I understand triage defense. I, 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 I could, so it, it, being raised in that environment and then working in that environment. And again, it, it, in 1999, after 10 years at the office in San Francisco, I went into private practice and I've literally been in private practice since 1999 and living literally off uh, referrals. I, I, I had no, I didn't pay for any referral service prior to, I guess, three years ago. Just word of mouth. I didn't even advertise. I didn't even have a website until eh, about three years ago. So why did that change? I, uh, well, I, business. I mean, I had to, I had to adapt just like everything else. I'll, I'll tell you a quick, short anecdote about when I first got in the office in, in San Francisco. Fresh, fresh out of law school. In fact, I was one of the first, in fact, I was one of the first uh, attorneys ever hired at the San Francisco Public Defender's Office that did not have experience um, because I had interned there from my first year in law school against everybody's advice. Um, right in my first year of law school, I got a, like a full-time unpaid internship at the San Francisco Public Defender's Office, a coveted spot. And I stayed there from my first year in law school until I got the job four, three and a half years later. But that's another story. But um, yeah, so the public defender's office, uh, you know, was was very lucrative for me. But coming back, uh, being in private practice has been much better. Hmm. Hold on. Public defender's office was very lucrative? Oh, yeah. Back in the day, I started at 30. Okay, so for me... It was a big deal because we, we started as it was, there were three places that you could work. I came fresh out of law school. I did not go the, the route of, of, of uh, big corporate law. I was, I was in the trenches. I did yeah. injury defense from the time I was a small, for me, it was lucrative. I start, I started at $45,000 fresh out of law school. And that was, and I'll, well, let me give you the year. It was 1990. And that was competitive. I mean, it was half, it was half what my other friends were making at Pillsbury, Madison and Sutro and the big firms, but those guys were working on weekends and we weren't, we were working nine to five. Um, so the point I'm, uh, the point I'm trying to make, I think going back to, to the point of being a part-time lawyer, um, 
it only became part-time as a result of changed circumstances. And, and I think, let me go back to the, the, the story I wanted to make about, about transition. When I first got in the office, there was a, uh, there was a, a typing pool. And when you wanted to do a, a motion, you would you'd take out the motion bank and you would fill in blanks and you would hand it to a 12 person room that was doing word processing and it would come back a day later. Then people started getting computers. <laughs> And then everybody got this and they were able to fill stuff in in a computer and press a button and do it themselves. And literally from the time 1990 when, or 1990 when I got in to 1999, we phased out an entire group of people. <laughs> Word processing, gone. Yeah. So I, I, and then, and of course, I, and I remember it directly, we all, we weren't required to get computers, but in 1990, I was one of the last persons to get a, a computer. Everyone was getting computers and we didn't use it for, it was all, I think it was all just for word processing. Um, but later on it became this, for us, it was this whole able to share legal opinions and stuff like that. So it became, I had to change. And so that was what it was. I, things changed. And so the, 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 the same thing happened as a result of getting, getting a website. I thought I didn't have to, interact with the internet i thought that you know good lawyers just um and i never advertised because back in the day that was a no-no in california you know you could not directly solicit business in california and we looked down on people that had big ads and we didn't nobody in my group did that we just we didn't do that and and the way that we got business was literally by referral it was hey you know, this guy's a plumber and his son got a DUI and I've known you from the church or from your community. When you're living in a community, you touch a lot of people. And my other job was a city council person. So I campaigned for 25 years. I literally knocked on doors, met people, shook hands for 25 years. So maybe my situation is different in the sense that, and I'm Filipino in an area that is highly Filipino and Asian. So I, I tapped my community. I was able to tap my community in a way that other people wouldn't be able to do it. And I, I saw an opportunity to do that because of my position and because of, you know, how you, how is uniquely positioned in the community. So let's, let's back up just a little bit so that I can see the whole timeline. You, did you go to law school right after? Yes. I went to USF law. I went to uh, university of San Francisco. Uh, right after going to UCLA, I went to UCLA. I graduated. I graduated with a BA. Then I went straight to USF, and I graduated from USF. I'm working my way through law school as a bartender and a wrestling coach, and um, got at my job at the public defender. Worked there from 1990 to 99. Got into private practice from 1999 until today. I'm still in private practice. I still have cases, and I'm literally going to be in trial next month. Cool. When did you um, start on the city council? And that was Daily City the whole time? Yeah, I started the city council in 1993. And I retired in 2016 after 25 years and being the mayor five times. So, yeah, that was what I did. Hmm. How much time did that require of you to be on the city council? Because you're working <laughs> pretty much every evening. Yeah. Every evening, so I mean, they, 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 uh, the way that uh, politics works, local municipal politics works in California is, is that uh, 
it's not meant to be full-time, so you're never required to be full-time. So they work your schedule. So it's after five o'clock. So after five o'clock, four or five days a week, I had committee assignments, things I had to do. Weekends, I cut ribbons and did things. Mornings, uh, there were le rarely ever mornings things because they knew I was in court and they knew that I was a full-time worker. Um, I worked with people, however, that were older that didn't have to work. So I was at a disadvantage in a sense that while I was at work, they were out of the community. So it was interesting that it was different that way. So yeah, no, I was full-time as a public defender too. Yeah. One other thing I, I you know, I was curious about the $45,000. Um, you said that was in 1990, right? So I have no idea what that is today. I looked it up. It's around 95 to $100,000. And that, that's a that's high for a public defender. I mean, at least according to Glassdoor, the salary well, rate. It was the today. highest. It was the highest. It was the highest in the United States. Well, I mean, yeah. we were we were we were higher than New York. I had I had interviewed and gotten the job in Los Angeles. Yeah. I I turned the L.A. job down to take the San Francisco job because it was the office to be in. Man. It just was. Hmm. I mean, where today, did you yeah. uh, rank in your class at USF? Oh. I want to say very low. Okay. But you, I was working full time. I was working full time and clerking full time. So my grades were, did not reflect what I was doing. I mean, I was not, I didn't really focus much on, I knew I was going to graduate. I knew I was going to be working as a public defender. So I wasn't aiming for the big firm. So when there was on-campus interviews, I was not, I didn't, participate because I was not into the beauty contest. I wasn't, that wasn't what I wanted to do. And that wasn't where yeah. I wanted to be. But the school I went to, the University of San Francisco, interestingly enough, pumps out city attorneys, just deputy district attorneys, public defenders, and interestingly enough, judges. So when I got out of law school and I started working in the courts, I was like, everyone was like, hey, you went to use everyone's everyone was like, you went to USF? Oh yeah, class Asia. And turns out that everybody went to USF. Is that still a path that someone could take today? Do you, are you familiar? Like, are you in touch with yes. the public defender's office in San Francisco? I mean, I guess I'm just specifically curious. Can you go to USF, finish in the bottom quartile of the class and still walk right into the public defender's office at, in San Francisco? It I think it depends on who you are and what you've done. I think that uh, there's a lot less focus on grades at uh, in in those at those places. There's a lot less focus on grades. There's a lot more focus on who you are and what you can do. And if you if you talk directly, I mean, I've been directly talked about about what you know. Why are your grades like this? Well, I'm working my way through law school and clerking yeah. and, you know, my mom's a single mom and I'm paying the rent and I'm doing this and I'm doing, oh, and I'm also, you know, I also coach wrestling and I'm a community member and I do this and I'm sure, I mean, I was an overachiever. I was an underachiever scholastically. I mean, I, you know, that was uh, interestingly enough, uh, one thing that I, yeah, I know that a lot of people or talk talk a lot about applying themselves in grades, getting grades, and all that stuff. And I, I you know, I traveled during you know in, in the summers. I, I went to Europe on my own when I was seventeen. I, you know, I, you know, I, I worked on a kibbutz. I, you know, I had a, I had some life experiences that a lot of guys my age didn't have, and so uh, that was, I think, that was it. And also, 
I, I knew how to work clients and people. They gave me an opportunity very early to meet with indigent defendants and, and actually interact with them and interview. And so I, I developed, I was a bartender. <laughs> so, so I developed this, this uh, I don't know, a rapport, a kind of a built-in integrity kind of thing, a trust thing where I kind of was transparent from the very beginning and just, you know, was very matter of fact in my approach. And I think that that kind of carried over because I didn't, I, just didn't bullshit anybody and it, and I could really tell when I was being bullshitted. So I was, those are my, being a public defender. will teach you that too, huh? Very much so. And what it teaches you is that triage too. It's like, you know, you, you, okay. So you have a certain amount of compassion that you have and you can't give it to everybody. So you dole it out depending upon who needs it the most. So, and then after nine years, you go, I ain't got no more. And then you go into private practice. That's when you burn out and go, I got to go. You pay for leads now, or you pay for referrals now. Is that a viable path for a brand new law grad who thinks, oh, I just want to go straight into my own firm? I don't believe, I don't think so. Because I was anticipating a no, but. Hey, it's competitive. It's yeah. look, okay, so here's what happens. I call someone, I call someone up raw and I say, hi, my name is Mike Gingona. I have 30 years criminal defense experience in the county where you were arrested. It says here that you were arrested for swerving. Da, 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 da. Let me, don't, don't tell me. The first thing they saw was objective symptoms, and those were red and watery eyes, alcohol in the breath, unsteady on your feet, slow and slurred speech. They took you out and they did field sobriety tests. One of the four things. What was it? Was it the hand pack? Da, 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 da. Oh, and also after that, they asked you what you had, right? You said two beers, right? Oh, you did, right? <laughs> and after that, they gave you a preliminary alcohol screening device. You blow through it, right? Oh, I said yes. And what happened? Oh, it blew one one. And the next thing was you were arrested. When you got there, what did they do? Did they go to the Toxizer 5000 or they asked you for a blood test? Oh, I went for blood test. Oh, so then they let you go. And so, no, I mean, for me, I'm sorry. It's, it's, I guess it sounds formulaic, but I, I literally have heard everything. So, so for the new lawyer, so then I hang up with you and then you get a call from the new lawyer and the new lawyer says, hi, my name is Jim Smith. I just got your lead. I practice in your County. Oh, really? How long have you been practicing for? A year. How many trials have you had? I haven't had any yet. I, I have, I have 95 trials. I did 64 trials. But when I left the public defender's office, I did, I did 27 trials in the first year. Nobody does that. Nobody. I mean, nobody does that. No, I mean, you can't get, you can't buy that stuff. You can't buy it. So because I, I had all that trial experience and you're able to um, use that experience to your advantage. And the other thing is, is that it, there is sales involved. You need to be able to, to articulate to someone that you can actually help them. And if they, and if it shows through that all you're trying to do is get their money, well, you know, I, I know what that sounds like. I know what desperation sounds like, you know? And, and quite interestingly enough, I'll tell you a quick story. So I'm on the phone with a per, per potential lead. And so I hang up with them. I tell you, you know what, here's what's gonna happen. You're now gonna get, after I hang up with you, you're probably gonna get nine, 10 more calls from people that are maybe just spirits to me or whatever, but 
you know, keep in mind that that's going to happen. And of course, we exchange numbers and they, he says he's going to call me and all that stuff, right? He calls me back and he says, uh, I just got off the phone with this other lawyer. Name's a name. So I know that guy. He told me not to hire you because of that. And then he just went into this, this long thing about, about how this other lawyer was talking about me. A guy I've known for 30 years that I say hi and bye to in court all the time. And I, you know, I literally found out about that. I went to my colleagues. I told them about that. And they're going, oh, man, this guy's horrible. And it turns out that on our list serve, which is something that we share with each other, he has been ostracized for you know, just being lousy to other lawyers. So he doesn't play well in the sandbox. So I, I didn't know that because I'd been out of the game for a while. But So I didn't know that that kind of desperation happens. And there are people that will talk to a, a potential client after me and say, hey, did Mike and Gona call you? It's like, so yeah, that's been happening. And that's, so I, I might stop doing the referral service, but uh, yeah, no, I, it's, it's a very interesting and disheartening kind of thing. But for back to the question about the first year lawyers, I, I don't know what a first year lawyer would be able to, how they'd be able to compete in that cutthroat of an environment. Do you know the reason why Eric reached out to you in the first place is because we had a listener email on a previous show asking us about, is it possible to become a part-time lawyer? And the, you know, 90, what do you think, Ben, 99% of our listeners are before law school, right? I mean, they're, yeah. they're all, yeah. so they want to know how to get to part-time lawyering right away. In your, do you have, in your knowledge, is that a thing? Yes, I can think of one. Okay, so I know I know of a lawyer that passed the bar that wanted to to surf more than yeah than, than do stuff right. So and 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 he had the means to do so. So so his specialty as a part time lawyer is he'll appear for you for a hundred and fifty dollars an hour. Probably, you know, for, you know, hey, man, I'm going to be out of town. Can you appear on arraignment for me in South San Francisco? Yeah, give me the file. What's the guy's name? John Smith. He will drive San Francisco, show up for you, waive instruction, arraignment, plead not guilty, get the file for you, and then you pick it up. So he has a niche service. He'll, he makes appearances, and that's all he does. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't do anything like that. I know another guy that works for – um a very successful ticket mill, a guy that pays money for a service that gives him the address and contact information of everyone that got a moving violation citation. This is very common of those kind of lawyers that do that. So they get this list, right? They'll cold call the list and try to get business and then they'll farm out that business to a, a new lawyer send them to Calaveras County to show up on a reckless driving for a trucker that they met on the phone for 500, 750 bucks. Um, yes, that can be done. And it is part-time because there's no way you could like make a living full-time doing that. Um, working for an attorney and doing motion work for, um, I, 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 know, I know one woman I, I don't know if it's more paralegal work than anything, but she does legal research and she will do motions and she will do, and her specialty is search and seizure, motions to suppress, um, got a niche. And so what you do is you pay her 
300 bucks an hour and she'll give you a top of five five hours and for 1500 bucks she'll write you a 1538.5 motion but she won't argue it she'll go all right here it is call these three witnesses and have at it here's the three issues so there's research jobs for people that are i know people that went into uh, court work and just they couldn't do it they just the whole showing up the whole having to stand up and be on you know point not you know they they like to be in the research areas and yeah and those people have have, have made niches for themselves for people like myself that don't have time to read i mean I, you know if i have a motion to suppress and i don't have time to do it i will call this person give them my police report tell them the fact pattern tell them what my three issues are and they'll Tell me whether it's still good law, what I can argue, and then I'll do that. Could a paralegal do that work, though? Um, not so much a paralegal, but a paralegal and a lawyer. I mean, some it's like you'll give it to the paralegal, and the paralegal will work, and it'll have it'll be looked at by a lawyer that works over there, um, and then they'll just give it to you. Um, but yeah, there are services like that. Um, so yeah, I mean. For, to be a part-time lawyer, um, you'd have to have some other gig that like keeps you, you know, that, that pays the bills. I mean, I, yeah. and I, and I could think of many other different ways to, you know, nobody goes to law school literally to be a part. I mean, you don't go to law school to be a part-time lawyer. I don't. Yeah. I mean, what, well, cause what people are thinking is, well, you know, big law firm lawyers make $180,000 a year. I don't want to work 60, 70 hours a week though. I want to work 30 hours a week and make $90,000 a year. But that's not what you're talking about when you're talking about part-time lawyering. No, I, I'm, I'm not. And I don't, I've, I've heard of job sharing and I've heard it and it's actually happened at, at, the, at the municipal level. I've seen it in my office. I've seen people that share, will share a job. One person gets pregnant and is out on leave and the other person takes that person's job. You know, it, I've seen that happen. Um, and I've seen part-time contract law where you can get a job for a period of time, like 90 days of full-time work at the PD's office or sit, you know, work on a death penalty case. Oh, how long is it going to take? It's, it's going to take as long as it's going to take. Oh, okay. So how long is the gig going to be? It's like, you know, it goes to trial two years. Okay. You got a, a job for two years. It's like, I know guys that have gotten that job um where they work for on a case but it's it's not part-time it's full-time periodic hmm. i don't think that's what people were hoping to hear when they <laughs> asked us about part-time law but i know i no, but think about it what's the market for part-time if you want it if there's so many there's too many people out there that would be willing to give you full-time for part-time money yeah right they're they're willing they're willing it's there's a glut there is a glut and I, and, and if you want to be part-time, then find a niche frick maritime law, maybe, uh, you know, um, I, okay, I'll give you one. I know a guy that works in cannabis and I mean, I think he just was a stoner that found a way to get paid doing cannabis. So, you know, I, oh, I can, you know, you fall into the, you know, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm just thinking out of the box as to, as to, you know, what would make me want to hire somebody part-time? It would be if I had not a lot of work and I wanted to do somebody a favor, <laughs> right? Because it's not really efficient to have them part-time. 
Yeah. That was our reaction too. It's just like they're looking at these full-time hourly rates uh, and thinking that somehow they can just, you know, not come to work half the time and still get paid the same amount. And it's just, it doesn't make sense because the guy right next to you is like, well, I'll do it full-time and that person's getting better um, faster than than you are. So why would the firm keep you? And, and if you're really going to go out on your own, I just don't see how you have any credibility unless you find a niche like you're talking about. And even then you're, you're scrap. I mean, it seems like you're scrapping for work. I, I don't think yeah. it's just flowing in. So it doesn't seem like a, a plan. Uh, maybe you can no. figure it out, but I got, you know what I was, I was coming on the show. I was hoping you guys could tell me how to do it. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I mean, I, 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 as you can see, I guess my story is I did it out of necessity and, um, and, and, it, it literally, it's only part-time when it's slow. I, I guess that's what the, what the moral of the story is. I mean, literally if, if, if my phone rings and I get a, and a guy says, you know, I, I think I committed a murder and it's a, you know, it's a hundred thousand dollar case. And yeah. then, then 20, you know, 2022 is taken care of. And guess what? I'm not going to be training a lot of people, you know, I got, the family comes first and the work, wherever the work is. Yeah. But then again, if, you know, if, uh, you know, if Madonna calls up and says, my personal trainer got sick, can you go on tour with me? Guess what? <laughs> I'm going to tell my law clients, I got to get going. I got, it's still, I, I mean, as far-fetched as that is, um, you know, I kind of chose that alternate profession that doesn't pay as high as a personal trainer, as a, as being a lawyer. So. I think one other thing too here is that you said you left right before the pandemic to go do this training at Google because it was for your, I don't know, you didn't say these words exactly, but it sounded to me like for your mental health, for your sanity or something, right? So this is- No, the pandemic, no, uh, let me go back. Um, the pandemic, okay, so I started at Google in 2017. The pandemic was 2020. So in about 20, no, 2016, when I was leaving public office, that's when the transition, when I was, I hit this crossroads, 2016, um, in 2018, I left the, I left a 25 year job in 2018, uh, being a part-time, <laughs> part-time politician. So as a part-time politician for 25 years, 2018, I stopped doing that. But in 2017, the cross, the, the overlap was I started being teaching swimming and personal training at Google. So 2018 hits, I'm a lawyer and a personal trainer all the way up until 2020. And in 2018 to 2020, I'm more of a personal trainer than a lawyer. That's when it's part-time. 2020 hits, pandemic, no personal training, focus hard on law, get an office, start pumping. And so 2020 until today, it's been go to the office, two or three days a week in court somewhere with somewhere in the, in a, in a different County, Santa Clara County, San Francisco, Alameda, Contra Costa. Um, yeah. So I'm, that's, that's what we're doing. Or, Random question. Just because I'm curious, uh, were there more or fewer DUIs in 2020 than there were in, tw uh, in 2019, uh, 2019, there were less in 2020, but 2021 was, up. 2021's killing killing it on duis oh we killed it 2020 yeah and then and then literally 
literally because everybody was out man every no yeah. literally that was happening and so that thing it was like so i'm getting i i subscribe to a thing where it's like i get you know 20 leads every two months right 20 leads phone was ringing off the hook i was literally you know talking to clients every week so it was it was busy Wow. You know, they didn't want to meet indoors though. They were like, can we meet it like outdoors at a Starbucks? Can we meet? It's like, oh, you'd love my office. Like, no, can we meet? Can we meet in my car? No. Oh, no, God. We cannot. And you know, I didn't, you know, I got to tell you, I didn't, I, I did. There was only one person that hired me via Zoom, literally. So she hired me via Zoom. I was able to appear in court via Zoom. And then I pled her guilty via Zoom. I don't ever, I never saw her. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was amazing. I mean, I got the, no, I got the paperwork electronically, right? So I get the paperwork electronically. I look at it. I waive instructions, right? My plea, not guilty on zoom. I call her back up. I go, here's the offer. She goes, all right, I'll take that offer. She goes, all right, I have your authority to do that. Yes, I do. Go back. I fill out this form on zoom. I scan it or I take a picture of it. I send it to them. I go, they, they get it. They go, is this the thing? So then we go through the, the litany. You waive your right to jury trial, your right to confront witnesses, your right to bring witnesses to your own behalf, your right to remain silent. Do you have the authority to do this, Mr. Gagona? Yes, I do. All right. Your client's on probation. She's got to pay $1,500. It's like, all right. And so, yeah, that's happened too. I've been, during the pandemic, I've been to courts where you're required to do Zoom, and I've been to courts where you're required to not do Zoom. And you just had to figure out what the rule was. One time I went to court to, to, to go, I had to go back to my car and do a Zoom call in the court I was just in because they wouldn't accept people. It was, you know, it's weird times, you guys. And and I got to tell you, I think there are opportunities here. There are. There, it's anytime there's this kind of tumultuous thing going on, there's opportunity for people that have imagination. There they really is. I think that... I hate to say it, but I think that when, you know, when, when things like this happen, it really makes people think things aren't the same. How are they going to change? And, and if they're going to change, how am I going to be able to adapt in a way that benefits me or be even better? How can I anticipate something that might hurt me? So that's kind of, I think the focus of 2022. That seems like a perfect place to leave it. Uh, if people want to reach out to you or learn more, Mike, do you, did you set, you mentioned a website I thought earlier. Oh, that's my, my website's it's a law. It's my, it's my law website. It's strictly for, you know, people that want to hire me. Uh, I've got a DUI. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They can contact me via email. That's uh, that's just my name. Mike can go to Gmail if they want to contact me. Awesome. Yeah. Mike Ingona, uh, thank you for coming on the show. Ben, anything else before we wrap wrap up, Mike? No, I really appreciate your time and uh, your honest um, assessment of your situation in the world and the legal market. It's it's interesting to hear. So yeah, thanks. super appreciate it, Mike. Nice to meet you. It's been a pleasure, both of you guys. Thank you. You've been very gracious. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks a lot. BLSAT famous. Get on an upcoming show by emailing help at thinkinglsat.com. If you have questions about LSAT Demon, email help at lsatdemon.com. You can also check out our other podcast, LSAT Demon Daily. That was episode 336 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school. <laughs>